You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Thank you so much, Austin. Every speaker's dream is to follow up the church's financial update. So here we are. Nah, my name is Josh Chevalier, and I'm the college pastor here at Midtown. And I'm super excited to be talking to you guys today. Hey, before I get into the message, I just want to say every week we talk about this idea, um, and even this week when we started our service, we talked about we're a family that's loved and served by God and compelled to love and serve Austin with God. And so that idea of family is really important to us. And so we want you to know if you're new that you're welcome and you belong here. And no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey um, or what you've done in your life, like this is a place where you can know ultimate grace and acceptance and belonging. And so um, we may not be great at a lot of things. We're good at some things, but one of them is unconditional love and acceptance and friendship. And so welcome. Um, Today we're going to be beginning and ending these Psalms of Summer series. So I guess it's not Psalms, it's technically Psalm of Summer. And I have like a quick disclaimer. This is going to be about the worst like exegesis of a Psalm ever because like I'm not even really going to use the Psalm. So this is kind of just a Psalm in Summer by name. Um, but I, I ran about past Jake. He's fine with me doing my own, own little talk. And we are going to talk about four people and four people that I think you guys all have something uh, in common with. And so we're going to have a conversation about an 18-year-old construction worker from the Philippines named Walmar, Frodo Baggins, and then Abraham and Peter from the scriptures. And so before we get into that, I want to pray for us real quick, and uh, then we'll dive in. God, I, uh, I thank you for this opportunity to get up here and uh, just talk about your scriptures and talk about the lives that you've given us and how you want to use us uh, to join you in, in changing the world, God, and to live heroic lives. God, I pray that you would speak through me. Anything that's not of you, I pray that would uh, fall on deaf ears, but anything that is of you, God, I pray that it would, it would be heard and received. God, we love you and praise you in your name. Amen. On September 23rd of 2009, uh, the Manila Philippines actually experienced their worst flooding in 40 years. Tropical Storm Kasena hit there and it caused over a billion dollars of damage. And I believe they lost over 740 lives uh, because of this tropical storm. And there's one kid, his name was Wilmar, he's an 18-year-old construction worker. um, And he was a good swimmer. Um, That was kind of one of the things that he really kind of hung his hat on. Um, and, and honestly, when these, this storm hit, this tropical storm hit, it was really just any other day for these people in Manila because they had experienced floods and rains during September, during hurricane season, all the time. Like, this wasn't a big deal. But as kind of the, the, uh, the water levels rose and the banks of the river actually burst, Wilmar um, and his family actually realized, hey, we need to get up to kind of higher ground or we're going to be in trouble. And so Wilmar, with the help of his older brother, uh, tied a rope around his waist and proceeded to get his three younger siblings up to higher ground, one after the other. After that, he got his parents up there, and then um, him and his older brother got up to higher ground. But as Wilmar looked down and saw the rest of his neighbors, he actually saw a bunch of them on their rooftops. So Wilmar, again, being a strong swimmer, was like, hey, this isn't, this isn't okay. Like, I need to do something about this. And so with that 
rope tied around his waist, he went to each of the neighbor's houses, and he got each of them off of their rooftops and got them to higher ground with his family until he had saved 30 people. But that really wasn't enough. He was kind of tired and shivering there on the bank, and he looks out, and he sees this mother with this child as they're trying to cross this river. And so they're coming across on this styrofoam box, and kind of immediately as they're going across, this mother begins to scream and yell because she knows that these, these flooding waters are just too much for her and her baby. And so Malmar, being a strong swimmer, decides he's going to go and do something about this. And so he jumps back into this water, and right before he can get to her, Menchi and her daughter fall into this water. And so Malmar dives underneath the water, grabs this mother and her daughter, and tries to get them back to the banks. But really, he, at this point, he's exhausted. He's gone and swam and saved 30 people at this point. So he's exhausted, and he can't really get them back. And so neighbors begin to see what's happening. And so they begin to leak arms so they can get out into the river to help Minchi and her daughter and Walmart get them back to safety. And so Walmart, kind of with his last bit of strength, hands Minchi and this baby off to the neighbors. But he didn't have enough strength to save himself, and so he was swept away in the water. The next day, they actually found Walmart and 28 other bodies um, at the end of this river. I mean, think about that. He saved 30 people by himself, and there was 28 that were dead. He saved over half the people that could have been dead um, in this tragedy. At his funeral, the next day, Minchie kind of retells this story of what was happening. His neighbors are talking about it. And his father, Samuel, said this about, about Walmart. He said, Walmart had a good heart. It was typical of him to give his life away for the good of others. And in fact, in 2009, Time Magazine actually named Walmart one of their top 10 heroes of, uh, of that year. And I think there's something about stories like Walmart that connect to something deep inside of us. There's something in us that longs to do something meaningful with our lives, to live lives of purpose, of meaning, to do things that matter. But the question is, why is it that these stories connect with us? Why is it that we want to do these things that matter? And I believe that's because God has created us to live heroic lives that are marked by two things, selflessness and sacrifice. Now, ultimately, when we define this idea of heroism, we can, I can feel a bit pretentious when we talk about it, but really what I mean is just selflessness and sacrifice because that's really what the most heroic people, if you look at their lives, are really marked by these two things, selflessness and sacrifice. Philip Yancey, in his book, Disappointment with God, posed this question. He says this, Is it absurd to believe that one human being, a tiny dot on a planet, can it make a difference in the history of the universe? And I think, if we're honest with ourselves, it's a question we ask about our own lives. To put it more personally, we could ask this question. Is it absurd to believe that I, a tiny dot on this planet, can make a difference in the history of the universe. And before we go any further, let me answer that question for you. It's not. It's not an absurd question. In fact, if you look throughout the scriptures, this is the way that God designed it. He designed things to work in such a way, he designed his kingdom to work in such a way, that he uses humans to accomplish his work in the world. 
He heals and matures broken people to bring his love and grace to others who are also broken. He uses our gifts, our passions, our healing hearts to make a difference in the world around us. He invites us to live heroic lives marked by these two things, selflessness and sacrifice. And it's not just the scriptures that talk about this. It's actually kind of look historically, culturally, like we see this kind of throughout history, not only in the, in the Christian faith and the Jewish faith, which is the background of our faith, but you see this throughout all cultures and all times. In fact, have you guys ever heard of something called the hero's journey? A guy named Joseph Campbell wrote a book called um, A Hero with a Thousand Faces. Raise your hands if you've heard of it. Okay, so a few, a few of you in the room. Okay, for those that haven't heard about the hero's journey, I'm going to explain it to you because if you don't know what the hero's journey is, the rest of today is not going to make any sense. So, the hero's journey, here with a thousand faces, again, Joseph Campbell, he was a professor at, uh, at uh, Sarah Lawrence, and he was a literature professor there, and he studied kind of mythology, and so he kind of, he looked at all these myths, and he realized that there's kind of this one monomyth, this one myth that's consistent throughout all mythologies, this one storyline, and he ended up labeling it the hero's journey, and so the hero's journey has these two parts, or actually has anywhere from 12 to 17 stages. We will not go through 12 to 17 stages today because I'm sure you guys will all get hungry at some point and want to eat. But I'm going to go through two stages with you of the hero's journey kind of throughout today. We're going to look at this, uh, a couple examples, again, to make sure you guys understand it. And then we're going to look into the scriptures and then see what our own lives and how our own lives kind of match this hero's journey. So the first um, hero's journey uh, the first stage of the hero's journey is the ordinary world. So this is kind of the context of the call. So the ordinary world, it should be up here on the, on the um, screen, it says this. It's the hero, uneasy, uncomfortable, or unaware, is introduced sympathetically so the audience can identify with a situation or dilemma that they're in. So this hero is kind of shown against a background of like their environment or their family or heredity um, or something like that. Right? But then there's something that happens. There's this tension within their life that's pulling them in different directions. This can be internal. This can be external. Um, but most stories ultimately end up taking these heroes into this special world. Well, if you want to kind of talk about this special world, you have to first introduce this, this, uh, this hero in their ordinary world. So this idea of like, if you want to have a kind of fish out of water, you have to actually introduce them into water first, right? So that's kind of the, the, the ordinary world. The second stage of this journey is this call to adventure, right? And so something happens, right? There's this tension that happens, and the heroes end up, they're presented with a problem or a challenge or an adventure uh, to be a part of. And there's this call that occurs to the hero. And again, there's 10 to 15 other stages that, that kind of go along with this. We'll start there. So Walmart, his ordinary world, right? Like it was a normal day for him. Like it was raining and there's things happening, but that was pretty normal. 18-year-old construction worker, good swimmer. And then the, the water, right, it burst over the banks and it begins to flood, right? And there's this, this call to adventure from Walmart. What is he going to, is he going to step into this moment and have this selfless and sacrificial act that he's going to do, right? Or another, another example of this would be, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I'm not a huge fan of this story, but other people are, so I'm going to use it. So Lord of the Rings, 
Anybody Lord of the Rings fans out there? Okay, a few people. Okay, so Lord of the Rings. Uh, this, in fact, like this whole like story of the Lord of the Rings is like built off of this idea of hero's journey. And the same thing with Star Wars. Star Wars is another one. Like George Lucas actually um, credits um, Joseph Campbell with kind of giving him the inspiration for Star Wars. But, but Lord of the Rings, ordinary world, Frodo Baggins, right? Him and his hobbit buddies, they grow up in the Shire, right? And they're just kind of doing life. And then something happens, right? He inherits this ring, right? And then he has this call to adventure, right? The content of the call. So this is Gandalf, the wise wizard mentor, right? Comes into his life, realizes he knows what this ring is all about. And he tells um, Frodo, like, hey, like, you're going to be the protector of this ring. You need to leave the Shire, right? Keep this ring away from Sauron and um, Smeagol and Gollum, or Smeagol, Gollum, same person. Um, and you're going to be the protector of this ring. That's his call to adventure. But it's not only heroic stories of Filipino young men or mythic narratives of the Middle Earth that had this idea of the hero's journey, right? We see this laced even throughout the scriptures. Again, the question is why? And I think it's because God built this inside of us to long to live these heroic lives, to join him in changing the world through selflessness and sacrifice. So I want to look at two stories in the scriptures. Um, we're going to look at the story of Abraham and look at the story of Peter. Um, and I know what you're all thinking right now. What does this have to do with Psalms? It has nothing to do with Psalms. I'm just kidding. I'm going to get to hear Psalms here in a minute. I'm going to talk about Psalms with Genesis 12. And uh, after we talk about the story of Abraham and really look at that as well. But um, Genesis 12, 1 through 4. It's going to be up here on the screen. You guys can follow along. Um, all right. Verse 1. This is uh, God kind of talking to Abraham here. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham, Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. Set out from Haran, sorry. Okay, so Abraham here, right? What is his, what's his ordinary world? Right? It says that right there in the scriptures. It says, leave your, your country, your father's country, your people, and your father's household. He invites, what God does, he invites uh, Abraham to leave what's familiar, what's safe, what's secure, right? Especially back then, right? Your family, your country, like those, your crew, like that was your crew. That's your protection. And God's essentially saying, hey, Abraham, trust me. Follow me into this new adventure that I have for you. He says, hey, I'm going to give you a new land. I'm going to give you a new family, right? I'm going to bless you, right? But not just bless you for any reason, but bless you to be a blessing to others. He kind of calls and chooses Abraham. And anytime we see that God call or choose people in the scriptures, he doesn't do it at the exclusion of others. He does it for the very fact that he wants to actually include all of humanity in it. And so he says, so the big call to adventure here for Abraham is, like, hey, go to this new land so that I will bless you, 
so that all the world will be blessed through you. It's this kind of missional call, this, this generous call that he gives Abraham. In fact, the Jewish people saw this, and they knew that this was the call of their people. That they weren't just supposed to be this ethnocentric community, religion, nation. That was to have this relationship with God that nobody else could be a part of. In fact, in Psalm 67, see, we're going to get there. Here we are. Psalm 67 This is kind of, it really shows that these Jewish people know that their calling is to be inclusive for all people. And so I'm going to start off Psalm 67 verse 1. It's only seven verses, so it's not that long. All right. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Now, you guys have all probably heard that before. But that verse was actually what's called the priestly priestly, um, blessing that um, God told uh, Moses to tell Abraham, or Abraham, to tell uh, to Aaron, to tell Aaron, right, to pray over the Jewish people when he was establishing kind of their nation and kind of their rules and things like that. So this is what they would, these people would, these priests would pray these over the Jewish people whenever they would get together and say, they say, may God be gracious to us and bless us. And make his face shine on us, right? That he would, he would have delight in us. And then the second part of this in verse 2, it gives us the reason why God would do this to them, why he would bless them. It says, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations, right? And we're going to see this word all show up quite a bit here. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the people with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the people praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, he blesses us. And may God bless us still. Why? So that all the ends of the earth will fear him, will worship him. Right? These Jewish people, this was, this was written really early on in their time, and they knew that they were blessed to be a blessing, to help connect the world into a relationship with God. Again, not at the exclusion, their relationship with God was not at the exclusion of others, but at the inclusion of them. And so this heroic call that God has really throughout the scriptures is really centered around his mission, which is to bring people into a relationship with him and to restore the world the way it was originally supposed to be in Genesis 2. Genesis 1. And it's not just the Jewish people. It's not just the Old Testament. But when Jesus steps onto the scene, he starts calling his disciples. I want you guys to hear this call to adventure again. And Luke 5, verses 1 through 11, this is the first calling of any disciple. This is Peter. You guys have probably heard of this story before, but I want you to hear it through this lens of ordinary world and call to adventure. In verse 1 of Luke 5, sorry, we're going all through the scriptures today. So, you have to buckle up a little bit. Um, all right. One day, as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowded around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and asked him to pull it out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon Peter answered, Master, 
We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners and their other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, Simon Peter's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Matthew 4 kind of gives the same kind of account, much shorter. And since he just says, follow me, for I'll make you a fisher of people. So again, Jesus had, there's this ordinary world that Peter's living in, right? Normal day, normal job. He's a fisherman. It's a normal setting. And then Jesus steps onto the scene, right? And they have this huge catch. It's no longer a normal day, right? And then Jesus calls him and says, follow me. And then he says, follow me, and I'm going to give you a huge house. No, he doesn't. No? Man, you guys got to work with me a little bit. (laughs) Right? Follow me, and I'm going to give you a lot of money. Follow me, and you'll never have any pain. He doesn't say that. What is it that he catches Peter with? He says, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of people. Again, it's not follow me and I'll make your life better. It's follow me and I'll allow you to give your life away for the good of others. To live a life of selflessness and sacrifice that I'm going to exemplify for you. He calls them into this adventure. And we see the rest of their time together, Peter struggles with this call and, and really trying to figure it out. All right, I want to make this a little bit more practical, bring this home a little bit, and we're going to spend the rest of our time here. But we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 5 here in a minute, but before we do that, I want to talk about us. Because this call to adventure that's throughout the scriptures is extended to us, to represent him in the world. But what I want to ask you is, what is your ordinary world? And what's your call to adventure? And for what, what I've seen for most of life, our ordinary worlds can look different, but they, they have three general categories. The first one is boredom, right? And I think a lot of us are bored. In fact, like they, they have some stats with uh, young teenage boys, or I guess 18-year-olds. They say by the time that a, that a young man hits 18, he'll have played 10,000 hours of video games in his life, right? And we can criticize and all that, but I'm sure, I'm sure we all watch a, enough Netflix to be experts at a watching Netflix, right? But like there's this idea, right, that some of us are just going through the motions in life. And the pandemic probably certainly accentuates that, right? And so we kind of conjure up these ways to get out of our boredom, whether it's uh, living our lives vicariously through others or whatever. But it's this idea of monotony, right? Old movie that some of you guys were laid with Groundhog Day, right? Where the same day happens over and over and over again. And it leaves us asking this question Is this all there is? Is this the sum of my life? See, some of us, we're not bored. And again, the COVID has accentuated all of this. 
But some of us are just experiencing pain. In the context of our ordinary world, it's hopelessness because of the pain that we feel. For some of us, life over this last year has beat us up. Whether it's the loss of a job or the death of a dream or the death of a family member or a friend from COVID or all the social issues and tensions that we see in the world that cause deep pain for some of us. For, other, for the others of us, it might be cancer, right? Either personally or somebody that we know. And sometimes it's harder when it's other people we know versus ourselves in journeys like that. For others of us, it's a breakup or a divorce, right? And we have all this pain in our life. And we ask God and we ask ourselves, is this all there is? Others of us are on the other end of the spectrum. There's a ton of people that are building houses in Austin, right? Like, so they're not experiencing, like, maybe pain in that way, but maybe they're experiencing success, right? And some people, right, they're living the American dream, right? They got the house. They got two and a half kids. Well, maybe 1.8 kids now is more of the American dream. Uh, but they got the white picket fence. They got the money. They got the cars, They got the grades they want. They got into the schools they want. We're in the Olympics, right? The Olympics just started. There's so many stories of athletes that accomplish their greatest dreams. They they get the gold medal. They win the Super Bowl champion. Tom Brady is a great example of this. And they go, is this it? Like, success? Like, I got it all. Is this all there is? Like, I thought it would feel different. Is this it? So whether it's boredom or pain or success, I think many times we're left with this question, is this all there is? There's a really simple answer to that question, but I'm going to make it, I'm going to spend a little more time talking about it. I want to read 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 to you guys. This is one of my, mine and Jake's. Like, favorite passages is probably why I got the job four years ago. Said, he said, what's your favorite passage? I said, Corinthians 5. He's like, you got the job. <clears throat> um, he didn't know my best friend, like, had the job before me, so he told me what Jake's favorite verse was, and I just <laughs> played off of that. I'm kidding. But verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And listen to this. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ representatives, Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's other kind of versions of this passage that end to say um, that we have become God's covenant family. 
right? This call back to Genesis 12, that we're brought into this family, not at the exclusion of others, but so that we could be the ones that include them and bring them in. That God is using humanity to change the world. And so when we come to, when we come to faith, right, and our call to adventure that God calls us into, he not only changes our position, right? He not only makes us go from, go from old to new, from slave to free, right? Not from blind to see. He not only changes that, but also changes our perspective on life and on humanity and on others and our purpose as well. And that's what this whole call to adventure is about. He changes your purpose and he invites you into changing the world. He says, be my representatives in the world. The same calling that Abraham, the Jewish people in Psalm 67, and Peter had are the calling that he gives us on our lives. The call is simply this. God invites us to live heroic lives, to join him in changing the world through selflessness and sacrifice. And so for you guys personally, what's your call to adventure? And I want to give you guys four questions that can help you really navigate what's your call, what your personal call to adventure are. And if this isn't enough, we actually have a training huddle, shameless plug, called Discover Your Calling that you could be a part of in like a month and a half. <laughs> All right, first question is this. What qualities in others inspire you the most and why? Right? Now, if you answer this question with things like greed, anger, then we need to have a different conversation, right? About what are the things that actually inspire you? But for most of us, I don't want to say for most of us, but for me, what inspires me? It's stories like Malmar's. I'm reading Malmar's story yesterday preparing for this, and I'm like weeping in the middle of Starbucks. Why? Why is that? Well, maybe I'm a bit sensitive. But also it's things like courage and sacrifice, selflessness, humility. It's these type of things that inspire me, mainly because I'm not that way, naturally. And so I see those things, and I want to be like that. And ultimately, whatever you do with your life is shaped by who you are. Right? So you can have all these dreams of doing great things to be selfless, sacrificial. But if those things don't mark your daily life, they will not mark the big moments of your life either. See, the thing that marked Walmart's life, why was he able to be named a top 10 hero in 2009? Well, his dad gave us the answer. Mamar had a good heart. It was typical of him to give his life away for others. He did this every day. Who he was shaped the biggest moment of his life. The next question is this. And these are going to get more practical as we go, but what is one wrong in the world that you want to make right and why? Now, we have a ton of wrongs in Austin, and we can all see them, but what are the things that you want to get a part, to be a part of? For Kari and I, for my wife and I, it's something like foster care and adoption. We see people growing, like kids growing up without families or hearing stories about hundreds of them sleeping in hotels and CPS offices and going, that's not right. Like, we need to do something about that. And we can't, we can't be a part of solving everything in the world and we can't even be part of solving, like, orphan care in the world either. But we can make a difference in the life of one. 
So what is the one wrong in the world that you want to make right, and how can you be a part of that? Third question is this. What are some issues, challenges, or hardships that you've overcome or in the process of overcoming, and how can you use those to help others? So I think this is a, a foundational one for us because this really speaks to a lot of our pain and our brokenness. There's a um, kind of a, a Jesuit mystic priest named Henry Nouwen. He lived um, mainly in the 20th century, and he, um, he had, one, if you don't know who Henry Nouwen is, go read him. He's amazing. And most of his books are like 100 pages, so they're digestible. But Henry Nouwen wrote a book called The Wounded Healer, and his basic premise in that book is that the greatest places in our life of pain are the ones that God uses to heal the world through us. And I love that. And don't, don't hear me wrong. God doesn't cause pain in your life, so you can then like, use that for the good of others. No, we, we fully believe that the devil and there's evil forces in the world that are trying to cause destruction and evil in our lives and lives around us. But like Joseph says in the Old Testament to his brothers, when they come, they're apologizing for what they did to him. He says to them, what you meant for evil, God used for good. And so the same things in our life, what I found in my own life, the most painful moments in my life are the ones that come up over and over again to help others heal from these same moments. So whether it's, you know, cancer or brokenness or death or the death of a relationship or a crisis in your own life. Like God can use those things and he can redeem them and he does. He wants to. So much of us are doing the hard work of becoming healthy people is so that we can help others do the same and find hope in some of the most hopeless circumstances in their life. Then the last question is this. If you could do anything in the world and money wasn't an issue, what would you do? This is a pretty common question that people ask. But for me, it was a question that someone asked me when I was 22, 23 years old in my early 20s. And they asked me this question, and it, it changed the trajectory of my life. And then Kari came along in my life and gave me the confidence to go out and try to attempt this thing that this person asked me and the answer to that question. Because I did, it led us here to Austin a few years after that. And what I want to say to you guys is that Jesus is inviting you into changing the world. And I think the best part of that is that he believes that you can do it. In fact, he created you to do it. See, when Jesus was calling Peter and he said, follow me, well, the rabbi a rabbi calling a Jewish person at the time and saying, follow me, is essentially saying, hey, I think that you can do what I do. He had the utmost confidence that Peter could be a fisher of people. And God has the utmost confidence that you can be a part of changing the world. We asked this question at the beginning, right? This question from Disappointment with God by Philip Yancey. Where he says, is it absurd to think that one life 
tiny dot on a tiny planet can make a difference in the world? When we look at, out into the scriptures and what God has to say, the answer to that question is clearly not at all. It's not absurd. God designed it that way. We're going to transition into communion here in a minute. And I want you guys to reflect on this. That God created us to live heroic lives because he created us in his image. He created us to be like him, to represent him in the world. And Jesus is the ultimate heroic archetype. His whole life was marked by selflessness and sacrifice. And there wasn't any better example of this than his death on the cross. So as we take communion, communion um, you guys can start getting your elements ready. Um, may we be inspired to emulate his selflessness and sacrifice, stepping into our own heroic lives that God has waiting for us. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.